Welcome, everyone, to It Simply Isn't Done, the Sermon Recap Podcast. I'm Reverend Jess Davenport. And I am Reverend Barry Petrucci. We are the pastors at Chapel Hill Church. And together we are the, the Irreverent Reverends. And uh, like the name would suggest, this podcast is the message from Sunday, where we share the scripture and then the sermon, and uh, we meet you back for some reflection on that message. There will be an opportunity to, if you look down in the notes, you will see a place where you can go directly to the reflection. If you already listened to the scripture uh, on the sermon, or if you just want to skip them all together and uh, just hear what we have to think about it, um, you can go there. We're happy you're here. We are indeed. just completed the second week of Easter. Yes, it is Easter Tide, and we started a new series this week. It is Easter Tide. Yes, it's called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, colon, Growing in Prayer. It's the longest title we can come up with, so. Yes, we tried longer, but we, we really tried. had to. <laughs> to. Stay tuned for the next one, see how we go. Yeah, so we started that this week, and in these next six weeks, we'll focus on um, what prayer looks like in our context and ways we can encourage um, people to deepen their individual prayer life, but also our prayer life together. And you started this week with, uh, with a reflection that was called what? Pray without ceasing? Pray without ceasing? <laughs> Question mark. Question mark. From... Uh, First uh, Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, maybe his first letter ever. Yeah, yes. Uh, all right, well, stay tuned. Um, listen to the scripture and uh, end the sermon, and we'll be back here after you're done. Mm -hmm. Friends, our scripture today is from First Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Hear now these words. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them highly in, in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I solemnly command you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. A word of God that is still speaking. 
Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the only um, consistent thing I do from the Skit Guys video, I am a hand squeezer. <laughs> At the end of prayers, I do that <laughs> for our family. Um, you know, I don't work in the other ones, and maybe I should. Um, hopefully that was a, a jovial entryway in talking about um, what our prayer life can look like together and some common misconceptions we might have or aches we might have in our heart about our particular prayer life. We are starting a whole series for Eastertide. That's the time right now until Pentecost in May that focuses on prayer. And we're calling it, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep Growing in Prayer. So six whole Sundays digging into this topic. This is really important for a community like ours. We are theologically progressive, um, so prayer in churches like ours looks a little bit different than some of our neighboring churches from other traditions. Sometimes folks perceive the prayer life of progressive, you know, mainline Protestant churches to be kind of weak or downplayed, or sometimes folks will be like, well, you're a pastor, one of, you're not one of the pastor of one of them praying churches, you know, like we're not a praying, a praying church. I've heard that, and I hear that, and I know of churches that are in the community that have extensive prayer warrior teams, um, or they'll hold uh, prayer healing services where folks will come up and have hands laid on them, and there'll be an expectation of kind of supernatural healing right in that moment. Um, and I want to be really clear those are really important for people. If you come from that tradition or if that is meaningful for you, that is wonderful. That is incredible. I don't want to take that from anyone. I also hear the flip side of that, though, in congregations like ours where people will say, hey, my prayer life doesn't look like that, so I must not be doing it right. Or um, folks will have been in those spaces where there's a lot of altar calls where you need to come up and pray and confess all of your sins. And folks have found that really emotionally manipulative. Right? So there are kind of two sides of that. So I don't want to take anything away from someone. If that is how you pray, if you're someone that has the gift of tongues and you want to you know, go for it, do your thing. And we have a little bit of a different understanding of prayer. And I'll get into this a little bit, but it really hangs on the difference of understanding our prayer life as either supernatural or in the mystical realm. And I want to get into this a little bit because we're a part of a theological stream and a theological tradition where our prayer life looks a little bit different. And there are others who are from a theological stream or a theological tradition where prayer looks a particular way. Both are meaningful and good. The absence of one or another does not need to denigrate one or the other. Is this making sense? Friends, we are a praying church, okay? <laughs> our prayers might not look the same. Our expectations might look a little bit different. We do. We will lay hands on folks. It'll usually be for different reasons. When we commission someone, um, if they're going forward to do something, um, our ex expectations of healing and restoration might look different. You know, I, I would never say to someone, hey, if you just were to pray harder right now in this moment, a miraculous healing might occur. It might. I don't know what God's going to do. Right? But that is not an expectation of me to say, hey, if you just prayed harder, that will be a particular outcome. That's not really how we understand prayer in this space. And I want to talk about that. If we don't have 
um, the kind of boisterous, more charismatic understandings of prayer, what do we have? What does it look like? What is our theology practice and expression around prayer? What is prayer for us? Well, I'm so happy I asked. (laughs) At its most fundamental level, prayer is the intentional seeking of a relationship with God. We're Methodist, so we would use a term, means of grace. We understand prayer as a means of grace, a means of God to give God's grace to us um, in a space where God might confirm, strengthen, um, quicken our faith as disciples. It's the reaching out of this relationship. I personally define prayer as seeking alignment with the Holy One, right? Knowing that as humans, we are made in God's image. We have the spark of the divine, yet we are not God. And we are called to intentionally seek out that alignment. And other traditions have that more supernatural flair of their understanding of God, right? And when I say that, I mean literally the word supernatural, right? Above nature. There are some traditions where God is out and above and somewhere else, and that God interacts with humanity in supernatural ways. Here, in this space, we understand um, God to be a little more mystical. Sure, God is above, God is below, God is here right now, God is in all sorts of spaces, and we don't exactly understand how prayer works. So it would be hard for me to say, if you were to only pray harder, because I don't really know how prayer works. I'm a little suspicious of people that say they do. I don't know what that looks like. I know that we're called to do it, and I know to the extent I can understand prayer working, I think it does. I have felt changes in myself. I have felt my countenance be different. And answers to prayers can be tricky and hard. And we're gonna get into all of that within this series. And I know that distinction of mystical and supernatural, it's pretty nuanced, but I think it's helpful for us to understand our relationship with God and where we are praying. So what do we do when we get a scripture like this one today? Right, we've all seen this as a meme. We've all seen this as multiple, you know, Facebook posts with pretty backgrounds and then a little quote, like, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? I don't want to pray for 32 hours without a bathroom break. (laughs) I can't stay up that long. (laughs) What do we do with all of that? Well, unsurprisingly, um, you know, we're going to dig into the context of this scripture. Instead of just pulling out verse 16 or 17, um, we have this whole kind of last bit of 1 Thessalonians. And this actually, scholars believe, was Paul's first epistle. It's the first one we have that he wrote. Scholars date it to 52 AD. Um, We'll talk about some of the features that help us know it's one of the first epistles. But it's interesting. He was in Thessalonica and he preached for three weeks on the Sabbath, meaning we know he was talking to Jews. We also know that he was talking to Gentiles and there was conversions into this new community, right, called The Way, people who were following Jesus. So this is one of the first churches Paul sets up and then leaves. Um, and then three months later, he writes to the community. He writes back to them after he hears a little bit, a little bit of the scuttlebutt that's going on, writes to them again. This is really important for us to remember when we're reading these epistles. While they are chock full of spiritually edifying material inspired by the Holy Spirit herself, they were first written to a particular group of people at a particular time with a particular circumstance. So we need to do a little work to unmemify 
the ways we understand them. So Paul actually has to leave Thessalonica abruptly. He's getting run out of town. That happens a lot. Folks don't like him there because he's a rebel rouser and this new community's forming and people don't like it. So he spends, uh, you know, the first part doing the regular greetings. He talks about Timothy coming. Really a large portion of the entire letter is him saying, hey, don't believe the rumors you're hearing about me. <laughs> it's him defending himself. Hey, no, I'm not those things people are saying. This is what I'm about. You're going to hear these things. I'm being persecuted. And he knows that some of them are too. And uh, then we, we get a little bit of this even within our passage when he says, hey, stay blameless until the coming of Christ. Um, but he has a, a bigger section above this that explains what people were thinking at this time, members of the way. They were thinking that literally at any moment, Jesus was going to come back. Literally any moment. He was going to come again, and it, you know, you could be converted, and then bam. So within your lifetime, he says, before you are dead, you know, Jesus will come back. And he gives, he kind of explains, hey, folks that have already died, like, they'll come too, it'll be okay. He's reassuring people. So I don't know about you, but if I was thinking that Jesus was going to come back any moment, I would have maybe a little bit more stamina to pray without ceasing. <laughs> right? We've had 2,000 years to think about this. Jesus might come back at any moment, but our understanding of what the scripture might mean for us, not as the Thessalonians, has changed a little bit. Another reason we can tell that this is one of his first letters, and I love this, do you all know the other times, like, like in Romans especially, where Paul just has these long lists of things you cannot do? Like, no, you can unave this, no, no, no. Well, in his first letter, he's actually really sweet. He's like, hey, here are all the things you should do. You should rejoice always, it'll be great. You can tell his style changed as he was dealing with churches and people more to give these long lists of things they can't do. But we have this really aspirational list. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. It's really beautiful. And I think it's no coincidence, he's a really good writer, that he puts all of those three together. There is something about those three, praying, rejoicing, and giving thanks. All right, they're similar in some particular way, and he wants us to consider that. What's hard about this is that uh, we affirm that our, prayer, our prayers are occasional, right? We don't pray without ceasing. In terms of our formal prayer life, that would be hard. Some of us have to drive, <laughs> take care of small children, sleep, um, operate forklifts, you know, things that would make it complicated if your mind was elsewhere. So we pray occasionally. We don't give thanks in all circumstances. Some circumstances are worthy of other responses. <laughs> Which is not to say that a lament can't be a prayer, right, or, or a place of gratitude, but not all circumstances are saying like, hey, I'm going to give thanks right now. Paul is calling us into an aspirational way of being. These new members of this new church, learning how to follow Jesus, are called to be fashioned in the patterns and the way that Jesus wants us to be, to call us into that space. Last week, I preached about being in the posture of hope, right? This builds on that. This is part of the posture of hope. Sometimes we need to adjust our posture a little bit. But can we sit in a posture of hope? Can you sit in a posture of gratitude? Can you sit in a posture of rejoicing? When was the last time you rejoiced? What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to rejoice? That's not a word we always use, right? What does it look like for you to be grateful? In some ways, Paul is reminding us and the early church that what you feed grows. 
what you feed grows. If we are intentional about our connection to God, it will grow because God is always reaching out to us. Right? And we can choose to respond. Now, how do we do that? That gets a little bit trickier. Because each of us were kind of made in, in unique ways. There are some prayer practices that work for a lot of us, um, and some um, are a lot harder to do for some of us. But we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about these kinds of prayers, and each week we're going to introduce a prayer practice to this group, and we'll look at a little bit of what that looks like. So this is called, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. How many of you recited that prayer as a kid before you went to bed? How many of you were kind of creeped out by it? Because it's kind of creepy. <laughs> like seven, like really kind of morbid. For many of us, it might be comforting. So again, <laughs> don't want to take that from you, but we're talking about what it means to grow up in prayer. There's another prayer practice that we can do in that time that we are winding down before bed called examine. Examine. E-X-A-M-E-N. How many of you have done examine before? A few. Ooh, this will be fun to talk about. Okay. So examine comes from Ignatius of Loyola. He founded the Jesuits. Um, and it's a type of prayer that helps you center and ground yourself before bed. And you might be thinking, Jess, you just kind of went on a spiel about us being from the Methodist tradition. Wesley has a version of this. It is 21 questions, and it is very intense. <laughs> so we're going to start with us today with five. There are five parts of this prayer practice. And I'm going to um, say them to us, but if you're someone who needs to see things written, uh, make sure you're signed up for the weekly email, because this is going to, every week our prayer practice is going to come out in the weekly email, so you can review it. Um, but if you're someone like me, who sometimes when you lay down to go to sleep, like your whole day goes through your head, but it's like everything you said that was awkward or weird, <laughs> and you're replaying all of those, and it's like, ugh. This is a wonderful prayer practice because it helps you kind of get out those anxieties and center and focus and give you some groundedness. So you can do this out loud with a roommate or a partner or a friend, um, or you can do this within your head. And the first thing you do is really easy. You just ask for God's presence during this prayer, for God's discernment during it. The second thing you do is you give thanks. Specific thanks for things in your day. What are you grateful for? in part of your day. The third thing is you review the day. You look at the good, the bad, the mundane, the neutral. The fourth is you confess anything you need to get off your chest. Any shortcomings, anything you want to make sure to attend to or correct. And then the fifth thing is you look forward to your next day. You pray for the specifics of your next day. That is a 700-year-old prayer practice that is still really relevant and grounding. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done it, to give it a try. Let's see, I already mentioned, yes. If you're not, I, the one thing I will add, did I say you can sign up for the weekly email on your Connect card? If you don't have the weekly email and you want this or you want to know what this prayer practice is, you can just click a little box on your Connect card. And as we close for today, I want to share a story um, that I heard in the movie Shadowlands. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's a depiction about C.S. Lewis, um, the British writer and, you know, maybe theologian, and his romantic relationship with the Jewish-American poet Joy Gresham. These two, they meet, they fall in love, and they get married. And shortly after their marriage, um, Joy finds out that she has a really aggressive form of bone cancer. 
And C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford at the time, and during Joy's treatment, um, he spent much of his time while she was sleeping or resting in prayer at her bedside, like on his knees. And then her cancer went into remission. And if you can imagine, C.S. Lewis is played by Anthony Hopkins, right? So you can picture him. He's going back to Oxford. He's resuming his duties. He's back to the college, and he's preparing to meet with students, and some of his uh, professor friends surround him, and they're all congratulating him on this good news of the cancer remission, saying, oh, wow. One of them says, it appears your prayers have been answered. And in reply to his friend's declaration that the remission of Joy's cancer was proof that God had answered his prayers, Lewis said, that's not why I pray. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me. Prayer does not change God, it changes me. And I don't think that's meant to be a theological statement on whether or not God changes, so much as an acknowledgement that in our prayer relationship, God can transform that new life that we were talking about last week that we carry into today, that kind of transformation, that can happen as a part of our prayer life. So as we go forth into this week, if you haven't tried the examine, I encourage you to try it. And I also pray that together as a community, we are ready to change and to be changed. Amen. Okay, you're done and we're back. You're back. Here we are. Here we are. Ready to go. I took notes. Yeah, I see that. That's thoughtful. So, so you did this introduction on difference and the celebration of other traditions around prayer. Hmm. Um, yeah, it sounded like you felt like that was really an important, an important place to start. Can you talk about how you came to that? Yeah, well, some of it was from our conversation the Wednesday before when you said, hey, I think it would be important to talk about <laughs> But additionally, um, a lot of what we get the opportunity to do is introduce and reintroduce to the congregation um, the reality that dominant Christian culture does not reflect the entirety of Christian expression, and we are a community um, that does not often find ourselves in the dominant form of Christian expression in the U.S. today. So from a progressive standpoint, um, we our, our practices, our faith expression looks a little bit different. And sometimes, because folks have seen one type of prayer, one type of expression, one type of a way that a church does worship, um, they will think, hey, well, this church isn't really doing that, so... What is, what's going on with that? What's up with that? Is that a church that really cares about their relationship with God? And I thought that was a helpful place to start because I think that kind of macro question leads to micro, to our individual selves. If our prayer life doesn't look X, Y, or Z, you know, are we somehow, it's an imposter syndrome with our Christianity. So that was kind of the, the macro to micro lens I wanted to take us through. Um. So, so sometimes we get pushback as progressive Christians, right? And I think uh, prayer is one of these areas where folks um, assume that if we don't, if we don't follow what they consider to be the central tenets of the faith, then how on earth could we possibly pray and expect God to do anything in response to our prayers? Say more about that. 
Well, I think that, that often um, times people think that progressives are somehow weaker in faith. And oh, so, yes, and yes. so, you know, I was talking in the, um, I'm doing an adult class uh, aligning with what we're doing in Sunday school. I was talking about the, the uh, needlepoint that was uh, at the top of the stairs of the church that I served in, uh, in Grand Rapids that said that prayer is the lever that commands the hand of God. And I think that there are there are folks within the Christian tradition that, that absolutely believe that, yes. and that there's no way that that could be in any way in line with progressive thinking. And to that, I say thanks be to God, mm-hmm. uh, because that's not that's not our understanding. Yeah. Um, so so I'm just wondering as you were thinking through this, um, what's the kind of balance that that uh, you took or you think we should take? Um, between the, the kind of pushing people into broader ways of thinking about about their faith and prayer in particular in this case, and also making it okay for them to, to stay in whatever place they, they find themselves in relationship to prayer. Yeah, I think with that, or I should say what I tried to do was put language around my perceptions of what those types of prayer look like. So when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, okay, well, what is really different? I, I don't know about the internal pieces that are different, right? We don't we don't know what individual is personal prayer life, but in terms of externally, um, they're in dominant Christian culture, right? There's kind of a language around prayer and we have this kind of term prayer warrior, which I am kind of deeply uncomfortable with as someone who generally chooses to not enjoy or employ um, militaristic language and there's a way a demonstrative way in which prayer should look and it's always fascinating to me when folks shift the cadence of their speaking so dramatically only when they're praying and in some sense I kind of get that because we do you know we, we have some public speaking for a living and the people we are preaching is the same person we are outside of preaching but we're going to talk differently but in other spaces, kind of like the, the Silly Skit Guys video that we had, like, you know, <laughs> I'll hear someone say say particular words over and over and over that I'm not sure are their own, you know, or, or that doesn't always feel authentic. So I think um, regarding the balance is to say, hey, when we think about prayer, how do we perceive God? Like, you know, and some of that goes to the who, what, where, when, why stuff we started to get to, but do you have this supernatural understanding of God? And can you follow that through to its logical conclusion? If you have a supernatural understanding of God, where God is mostly supernatural, um, I think, you know, above nature, then at some extent, if you're praying to a God that can, and you expect to interact with humankind in miraculous ways, what, what happens then when God doesn't? What do we do with that? And how do you kind of take that through? And I'm not really one to say that God can't interact with humans in miraculous ways. I don't know. I know what I've mostly seen, and I can rely on my experience, and I understand that God works through humanity more often than through miracles. But I'm not sure that I would ever attribute someone's power of praying to those, if that makes sense. Yeah. So at some level, it kind of kicks into, uh, I don't know how, how deep we want to go, but it, it really kicks into our understanding of how 
how transcendent God is and how imminent God is. Sure. Uh, and uh, so the, the, the imminent, the, the degree to which God touches down, right, mm -hmm. uh, and touches us and is involved in the day-to-day -day activities. Uh, and and th that balance really does have implications for how we understand uh, our prayer life and what it is we're expecting to have happen as a result of, you know, how, how, um, how often, so I'm with you, I don't, I don't rule out the possibility that God operates in ways that I do not understand, and and miraculous uh, occurrences are part of that. Uh, I don't need to understand that. Do I? Do I need to expect that that will happen if only I pray in the correct way? That's where I think we get into trouble as as, yeah. uh, as people of faith. You know, and and to that extent, we've seen folks um, abuse that. Right? Sure. We've seen people, uh, leaders, folks in power, pastors like us and churches, um, abuse that thought for financial gain, for just general um, emotional manipulationship over congregants. So it just can become, it can become intense if, if that's kind of where you go and how do we draw that out and who, who has the power in that situation. And I think also, if, um, if the way you experience God is in these supernatural ways, I think that's wonderful. That's great. I don't want to take that from someone. Um, I would say, hey, here is a <laughs> here is a way that I would see this. Here's what you're going to hear as the kind of predominant understanding of this faith community. And can those things live together for you? Can they live together? Are you willing to be open to other, you know, to other expressions or other experiences? Because the flip side is when folks come to us and say, why aren't we doing X, Y, and Z um, in some way? Like this church is not as faithful. And that's really what I kind of take issue with because we don't look a particular way. Um, you know, th there's questions about whether we're faithful or not, or, you know, good Christians or X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And I certainly, you know, as a, as a leader within that church, I'm, I'm not thrilled about that. Uh, at the same time, I'm also not thrilled with the self harm that I see coming with people that believe that, that uh, God is primarily operates in miraculous ways. Yeah. And it's just, a, a, it's my problem if I'm not, if God's not coming through for me in my prayers, it's a problem with me and the way I'm praying or who I am or what I've done. Uh, and that is an incredibly guilt or even shame inducing thing. That, that I do have problem with. Yeah, and it's hard for us to, um, to kind of circle back to those moments because most often when you and I, and I would imagine other clergy or um, folks hear that, is in the midst of when someone actually needs pastoral care. Yes. So we can't really address it then. That's exactly right. That's it's not, not, time, time. not time for a theological conversation. Exactly. Yeah. exactly right. So finding those pockets to come back and explore um, that theodicy, like where, where is God in your life and what is God directing, making space for those conversations, I think is really liberative for people um, and, and can help free them. And there is also a reality that I think what we, how can we hold thoughts for ourselves and, and hold space for other people and what can that all look like? You know, a, a, a constant of, a constant of progressive congregations is that we understand ourselves to be on a journey. Like there's not a, there's not a destination where you've made it I'm as a Christian. So there's not a particular prayer you say and you're, you're, you're in and you're it. Like you're always in to the extent you want to be in and we're always growing together. Yeah. So that the continuum of that is a little bit different and that we have the expectation that, you know, we're going to keep growing in this. So if you're willing to grow, then, hey, we're willing to grow with you. Yeah, at some, at some level, the in is the easy part. Yeah. You know, it, it takes very little. Yeah, it takes, Do you want to be here? Great. You're, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> done. Done. Are now you, you ambivalent but present? Sure. Yeah, now what are you going to do with that? What what is what is going to grow within you? What's going to grow out of you uh, because of that because of that connection? Yeah. I, I want to loop back at the end. You you talked about uh, C.S. Lewis and uh, the film Shadowland, particularly, um, and and the the quote that uh, prayer is not is not about me changing God. It's about me being changed. Mm-hmm. I think I, I was loose on the uh, quote, but um, yeah. essentially that's it. How does prayer uniquely do that? How does prayer uniquely do that? Yeah, I mean. Um, Lots of things change us. Mm-hmm. So how does prayer uniquely change us? Yeah, well, I can speak for myself. Because yeah. perhaps I'm not sure about other folks, but... I'd, I'd like you to speak for everyone. We have, <laughs> we have time. One at a time. <laughs> yeah, well, so in my in my personal life, um, a lot of times when I come to God with something, and for me, there's a lot of rumination, and I, I have kind of a running... Uh, monologue in my head anyway. So sometimes I direct it God's way. <laughs> we, have, yeah. we have a conversation. A lot of times the, um, I don't know how to explain it other than like my countenance will shift and I'll be able to focus on something different. So as someone who tends to be like really self-critical, like that's usually, that's usually the content of my prayers. Oh my gosh, I kind of, the, here's how I screwed up and here, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's usually where I start. And usually the place I end is, is, uh, I don't know that it's more rational. That's not really language I would like to use, but it, I have a, more of a perspective and a peace and an understanding um, that allows me to move forward in a way that's more meaningful. So for me, I feel like some of the changes just in the, I need the, I need the change in the quieting of my spirit and going to prayer does that for me. Um, I'm sure I'm not alone in that being a characteristic of folks prayer life, but I'm sure there are other people that have other, have other needs um, that are kind of quote-unquote answered in prayer. So when I talk about having an answer to a prayer, um, a lot of times the thing I come with is not really what I'm seeking an answer for so much as how, how can I respond in a way that is in line with who I understand Christ to be. Um, and most often it's trying to be uh, a little gentler with myself um, and other people. That Other people are a result of me being more gentle with myself. I'm a better person to others too. So that's how I would say that. Cool. <laughs> what would no, you say, I, Mary? I, 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 no, that resonates with me. I mean, I, what I find is that um, that my prayer life will often go to prayers for others and um, frequently prayer for myself or something I'm struggling with and will really uh, kind of kneading my hands, you know, about what to what to do. I'm, I'm complexed about something. And ultimately, the prayer leads me back around to what can I, what can I do that you know, I'm looking to God to give me something, and really what I, what I need is I've had all along, mm-hmm. and part of it is, is as you say, being gentle with myself and in accord with others, um, but it's also being present in a way I hadn't been because I'm looking externally for some kind of solution when mm-hmm. I'm part of it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. You know, at the risk of being a cheesy pastor, um, I'll know that my, like, when I can identify the fruit of the Spirit within myself, um, or I'm more readily able to identify it within others, like, that's when I know, like, oh, this prayer has been answered. Not in the content, not in whatever we're dealing with, but in the in the ability to work 
through that with someone and the ability to be patient and loving and you know, generous. And more often than not, it's about going to more prayer because I haven't gotten there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I catch myself because I'm making it a destination again. Oh. Well, it's something about this journey and about how we don't have, you know, there's not a, there's not a destination. <laughs> there, there is a being. <laughs> yeah. Figure it out together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is interesting too because culturally there are a lot of differences, and you know I try to name this here, but there are a lot of differences in terms of how people pray, and I think having an understanding of what that can be like um, and exposing ourselves to other types of prayer is really helpful and meaningful. Um, you know, I mentioned that this, this is not a, I will not be in leadership of a church wherein we have like um, altar calls, wherein we put hands on someone with the expectation that God in that moment can heal them. Um, we'll put hands on you to commission you. We'll do, you know, all sorts of other things. Um, I won't demand anyone, you know, praying in tongues. However, like if that's a gift that you have, good, good, like go for it. It's not, it's not bothersome necessarily. And I think having a tolerance for people to open up and um, find, you know, find a place uh, in the season of life you're in now where prayer is most available to you. That's hard work and it's meaningful work because it's not going to be the same through every season. Yeah, in my class on Sunday, it was really interesting to listen to folks talk about their experience of prayer and questions that, that they wanted us to address over the next five weeks. And um, a lot of interest in what's going on in prayer in other world religions. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of interest in what's the difference between prayer and mindfulness and meditation. Sure. And how does that all work together? Because there's so much in our culture right now is around around mindfulness and meditation how are those different um, well that's really um, fascinating because a lot of those things were westernized and kind of ripped off from eastern religions yeah, absolutely. <laughs> taking all of the religious elements out yeah. which is also not to say there is a stream and sect of christianity where that has always been a part of it as well more mindful experiences right. that's not usually what we see we kind of see the hey this is buddhist but we stripped all the buddhism <laughs> and, you yeah, I mean, and we did you know we had a whole the whole flirtation in the 60s and 70s with Eastern religion, and we, and we did a really good job of, of stripping out the stuff that, that really made it unique, and, and we essentially made it our own, whoever mm -hmm. our is. But, um, yeah, so the whole turning East phenomenon um, has, has definitely impacted how we've understood. But, we, but we've not understood them as, as religious practice. We've understood them as yeah. secular. psychological, secular mm -hmm. practice. Oh, you want to talk about the desert fathers and mothers? This is gonna be fun. Yeah. yeah. yeah too bad you can't be in there. Oh well, I meant the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, confirmation such a drag. <laughs> Fifteen, you know, <laughs> kids are. <laughs> yeah, like that's something. Yeah, yeah. The desert mothers and fathers. Actually, I pulled I pulled those books down to do some work. It's been a bit. What else do you have in your notes there? Uh, the, 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 we uh, the examine which we did, and we're gonna send. We're sending uh, email out so folks will have that. I don't have really questions about it. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciated the, the the what you feed grows. I was wishing you were gonna spend more time there um, because 
we do a lot of feeding of stuff that, that grows and it's unhealthy. Yeah. And that feels contrary to prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think to your point, I was, I'm hopeful that I can pick up on some of those themes to talk more about them um, in future. I, you know, I, structurally, I don't know that I love the organization of the sermon. Um, I would do things, I would put things in different orders if I were to do it again. I might spend more time on some of those elements, but I'm, I'm hopeful that throughout this whole series, we could talk about prayer in that particular way. Um, yeah. And that there is something, um, there is something about ourselves and who we are, you know, shaped in how much time we spend with certain practices or certain people. And I think that's helpful for us to keep in mind with our prayer life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the, the first message in any series is tough because you're trying to do the introductory stuff and, and yeah. it's it's and have a little content yeah it's a little less a little less artful i think most of the time because we're trying to we're trying to cover some pieces mm-hmm. i thought i thought it was helpful yeah well I, yeah it's nice too that you you kind of get what you get from it you know so <laughs> it's already just done. another week <laughs> it's well, it's already done. So folks that have listened to it, I pray that God spoke to you through it. And I know that sometimes God speaks in spite of us. So. You know, we should do that sometime. We should redo the sermon in light of the podcast. Oh, no. That would be hysterical. Hey, take two. Yeah. <laughs> and at 10 o'clock hour, we can record it then. Yeah. What I wish I would have said. What I wish, yeah. Here's how I would have structured it. Um, you know, but when, we, when we're public speaking and doing this kind of unique task. I'm, I know that God can. Uh, I know that God has done more with less because I have been less. God has yeah. done more. <laughs> one one thing I did have in my notes that I forgot about um, the 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 contradistinction between uh, supernatural and mystical, mm-hmm. which I when you said that when you're talking about that I was struck by the reality that I think the average Christian is far more comfortable talking about the supernatural and the mystical. I think I think that's right. I think that's that's dominant Christian culture. Yeah. Um, that has us interact or choose like choose to understand God in a supernatural way. Um, and I don't rule out the possibility of anything, you know, super who knows? Who knows what can be supernatural, but um, I think if you really get into our theology, it definitely is a little bit more mystical. And you can even talk about the imminence of God and the transcendence of God, even within the mystical context. Absolutely. Like an imminent God can be still mystical. So, um, and probably rests there. Yeah. Because the mystical is within us. The supernatural is beyond us. Yeah. But sometimes I think, um, yeah, it's, I think folks are way more comfortable with a supernatural understanding of God. And sometimes people, um, to to the detriment of understanding mystical, and sometimes people will go so far as to like deism or, or other kind of like if you believe in this mystical God, you know what what is uniquely salvific about Christ in that sense, and it's an interesting conversation that I hope um, we're opening up to because I think this I, I think Chapel Hill in a community is open to more mystical understandings of our relationship with God and one another. I I, I hope you're right. Perhaps we'll see. Indubitably. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, if you have uh, if you stuck through this, God bless you. <laughs> we have barely how you've stuck done through that. Is, how you've done it is mystical. That's all. Yeah. 
um, next week, Barry is preaching. We're, we're digging more into the who. Uh, who. Who are we praying to? What is this relationship look like? The name of God. And we're going we're gonna to do a video with all the names of God in all the world religions. And what is it to name? Now we get um, everyone's favorite uh, supernatural shrubbery story. Speaking of supernatural. So is this on the burning bush? Supernatural shrubbery. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see you next time. Stay tuned.